Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. Today is Tuesday, June 23rd. On the show, Heath Muchmore. He's the chief bit swapper at Dell Technologies. He's focused specifically in the uh, Fed space, does everything there from high-end HPC things to general VMware things and all the goodness. He's also formerly U.S. Air Force F-117A avionics tech. That sounds cool. And currently <laughs> does Civil Air Patrol. Heath, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to be on the show. Help us understand. What's uh, what's the Civil Air Patrol? Uh, well, the Civil Air Patrol is actually, a, you know, probably one of the funnest things I do. Um, my time in the Air Force, of course, you know, led me into um, supporting Civil Air Patrol. Civil Air Patrol is officially the Air Force Auxiliary in regards to um, CONUS, uh, Continental United States-based search and rescue functions. Uh, but um, the the magic behind that is it's an all-volunteer organization, and we also um, take uh, kids from uh, 12 to 18 and we bring them up through the Civil Air Patrol Cadet Program and we teach them uh, general uh, things about the Air Force, about aerospace science, and we also uh, provide uh, all kinds of training to them in regards to military traditions. Uh, we also ensure that they understand what respect and authority and integrity are. And ultimately, one of the things I do there is I teach cybersecurity. Um, and uh, there's a program uh, every year called the Cyber Patriot that you can participate in. That uh, awesome. kind of red team versus it blue really team uh, kind of thing that uh, allows your your, your uh, you to kind of go get some real world uh, hacker style uh, mend and defend kind of nice. thing. That's really neat. I, I was not aware of all the detail there. That's actually really fascinating. I didn't know we did that. You said uh, it's part of the Air Force. Well, it's called the Air Force Auxiliary, right? So it's funded by the Air Force. So they get to, they actually get direct funding from the United States Air Force, um, but they also um, get uh, their own fundraising from local uh, squadrons. And so the uh, there's numerous squadrons here in the Virginia area. And uh, yeah, I mean, we might do old school stuff like you know bake sales, uh, <laughs> those kinds of things. You, sure. you just never know what you're going to do to kind of raise money. And the, and the reason you raise local money is so that that um, the, the kids that come from um, disadvantaged homes um, don't have to buy the uniforms because uh, uh, we yeah. try to, we, tr we try to be able to buy the uniforms and issue them so that they don't have to purchase those and it just allows them to participate in something. So awesome! Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that you're a fellow Destiny Two player. And you're <laughs> yeah. awesome at it. <laughs> Nice. It's fun. It is. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of taking a break from Destiny right now. I, I, I got yeah, me too. I, I haven't been on in a while. Yeah, I got a, I got a little tired of the grind there, and that's how I that's how it is with me for Destiny. Uh, because the the I love the game. I love the graphics. I, I just kind of love the story. The the I wish the developers would do something about the grind a little bit. But um, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I take a break, and then I come back to it every once in a while. So yeah, it's been a while since we played. All right. Well, let's yeah, get into yeah. the news. What are y'all? Uh, what are y'all looking at, dude? I think I'm actually going to kick it off with one I just stumbled on and then started sort of toying around with, um, which I'm sure someone will criticize me for. But uh, Google introduced a password checker plugin 
um, to go and sort of, it, it goes beyond just validating if passwords have been leaked. Um, they say they sort of have ethical standards for collecting uh, password breach lists. And, and it looked like in the article that just meant, you know, they don't pay hackers as an example or anyone who has uh, acquired breach data for their their tables. But um, they put together what they believe is a secure process for taking all of the passwords that you store with them or uh, or are using in a specific site, uh, assume if you sort of opt into it, um, it will check that that kind of starting hash for the way that they're storing a password. So it's looking at the hashes, right? Just like all the other sort of tables. Um, and it'll go and see if it has been identified in any breach as an example. Then it also goes through, it looks for reused passwords in your you know, grouping of passwords, if you keep passwords with Google in that case, I'm sure. And I think 1Pass has uh, something like that too. LastPass wouldn't surprise me if they did as well. But then also looks for weak passwords and it, it just goes through your entire list of um, stored security and they're trying to remove duplicates, improve complexity, and of course, get rid of anything that has been compromised. Uh, it's actually pretty neat. It's really straightforward too. Um, I do use Google's um, password, uh, I guess, storage, I don't solution. Yeah, sure, just as far uh, as Chrome. Yeah, because Chrome I use everywhere, uh, even though it's yeah. hungry. Um, I have more RAM you know, than uh, Russ's and laptop, it's not a, so it's not as concerning for me. And you don't have to pay for it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chrome is uh, Chrome's free, and and all those tools are free. And honestly, it's, well, I know it's Chrome been a very... Chrome is free, goof. I'm asking if the no, password add-on is free. Yeah, it is. Because yeah. <laughs> all the other things you have to pay for, like I use Dashlane. Right. It's like 40 bucks a year. And they do the yeah. same sort of thing, but it's 40 bucks a year. Right. No. And, and it, the storing passwords has been free on Chrome since they released it. So you can, you'll get suggestions when you're filling it out and you can just say use suggested password. And it, uh, um, if I'm not mistaken, it is compute. The, the, the computation is all it's generated locally. There we go. Couldn't come up with that word. Not enough coffee yet. Uh, it's generated locally and then it's stored. They keep that, that hash and they'll, um, automatically save it with your login information as an example on, on the website. So it's very easy to use if you're a Chrome user Chrome on my laptops and uh, desktops gotcha. phone as well. So it's easy access. And then um, the tool well, yeah. I was just poking through is actually, it's just, like I said, it's very accessible and no cost. Lucky for us, we have a cybersecurity expert on. With us. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Keith, what's your take on that? Uh, well, I tr trust Google with nothing of mine. So, um, the, but I, I, I always encourage people if you're, if you're not following them on Twitter, you should Troy hunt, um, from Microsoft. He, uh, he started the website, have I been pwned or owned, right? You know, yeah. mm -hmm. and if you, you know, that's just one of the things that I do pretty regularly. Um, if you sign up with them, you'll get the notification if your you know, if your email has been compromised. So that's one of the areas that I start first. Um, I, you know, as, as regards to passwords uh, uh, protection, I actually have several methodologies. You know, I, I don't use the Chrome one, but I do use the one that's in Firefox. And you know, you got to make sure to take your uh, don't take the default right because then it 
it doesn't have a password to unlock stuff, right? You you just simply, hey, show me the password for this site. And uh, so you have to go in and, and tell it that you want to apply a password or some kind of security mechanism to, so that if somebody gets into your Firefox uh, account, then, you know, then you're, you're hosed even more. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my thing with, uh, you know, we being in federal, Passwords are a day a day of life. You know, everything is uh, you know rotationally changed in regards to um, uh, mechanisms. We have software that uh, we apply to governmental systems that uh, uh, authentication methodologies that actually then record who's authenticating because. In, in our world, nobody gets root access. Nobody gets, you know, top level uh, domain access unless you uh, unless you've authenticated through a privilege access manager, which then again will actually shadow record everything that you're doing. All the key you know, strokes that you're typing and, and actually do a video recording of, of stuff. So, um, wow. So, it yeah, it's it's pretty tight. Um, but not all, not all the, I'm not going to say that all federal systems are like that. That's, uh, um, but, uh, you know, I'm the, I, I'm sitting here looking at mine and, you know, like, like I said, I, I go into have a Benpone, look, look at my stuff and I go into my logins and passwords, type in, you know, a, you know, kind of a multi-authentication code. And I, I think everybody, you know, somewhat knows the rules, but there, there's a lot out there that, you know, do your best to, to kind of take one or two words or two or three words if you can and, and f- f- you know, fumble them up if, if you need something to remember. Otherwise, get an app that will generate one and then you just use that app to help you out. So, Gotcha. All right. Uh, so, I got to ask you to get to know you a little bit better. Um, are you an Android or iPhone person? Or do you still have like some Windows phone? <laughs> Well, uh, I will admit I have uh, so I'm I'm an electronics guy, and so I I'm literally sitting here at my bench. I got the spectrum analyzers and the oscopes and the nice. logic analyzers and all that sitting right here, and and so uh, I just so your Morse code or say that again. So your Morse code instead, or uh, well, I can ah, do Morse. Right. Yeah, no, I can joke. do Morse code. Yeah, no, I can, <laughs> I can. Um, uh, but but with that, the I have a drawer full of phone. I don't ever get rid of my phones. Uh, so I actually yeah. have uh, phones from way back in the day. One of them being a Windows phone, and uh, so. Uh, but I'm an Android person. Uh, I you know I, I'm I'm really weird. Is uh, I was a huge Apple person for the longest time, and I just I was an Apple uh, I was an app developer, um, and I just kind of got tired of of Apple. Uh, you know, the amount of money that they take from you when you write an app, the, uh, it's easy to write an app on their platforms. It's, uh, they make, they make life really easy for you, but then, you know, they, they kind of tax you pretty heavily. So I got, I kind of got tired of that. And then I switched over to Android and so I haven't, haven't really looked back on, so, but I'm a huge, um, OS fan, you know, Macintosh OS fan. So, uh, uh, Apple laptops, I don't necessarily care for, um, just cause there's nothing special about them, but the OS I love. So, cool. All right. Well, I bring that up to uh, to uh, give a little credit to Tyler because the we we always have this. I mean, I'm an iPhone person, and he's an Android, and I get why he's an Android, and I get everything <laughs> you were just saying. It was also just funny yesterday. Apple uh, had its first day of its WWDC, yeah, and they were getting just hammered because they released a bunch of features that Android came out with seven years ago, 
So they <laughs> on the iPhone the 14. Yeah, on the 14. <laughs> yeah. On the 14, you now have customizable home screens. You can add widgets. You can add picture in picture. Uh, they also decided to reinvent the wheel and bring in Apple Translate instead of just leveraging Google Translate. So that was kind of interesting. And um, there was one cool thing that I saw. Um, one sort of, I wonder if this, what this is going to be like, but uh, you now have the ability to use NFC um, to be your key for your car. And I think the first one that they're doing is the like mm. a BMW M5 or something like that. But uh, the one cool thing that I thought that Google Maps should adopt, because I'm a Google, Google Maps person, is that uh, if you're driving somewhere, you can tell your phone what kind of car you have. Also kind of cool for the NFC key thing. Like, it'll just automatically know. But yeah, if you have an EV, it, it will automatically route you along paths that have EV chargers for your vehicle. Uh, okay. So I saw a headline that, that talked Google about Maps that, but had. I didn't, didn't get a chance to actually dig into it. Um, and that, okay, I, that's clever because the headline, of course, was a little clickbaity and it was just like Apple's introducing EV features to take away, you know, distance anxiety or something like that, range anxiety. Yeah, and range that, anxiety. So that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it just routes you along paths to have EVs. That's it. Smart pathing. That, that would yeah. have been far more useful. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest. One of the things that I was kind of excited about um, in the Apple announcements, it, only because yesterday was a... I, yesterday was my first day back from vacation, and it was one of the biggest days of the year for me. Um, one, Apple Developer Conference kicked off, and two, um, the F, uh, the High Performance Computing Top 500 uh, announced their new winner. And the, the why those are co-related co- uh, co- is because Apple is announcing ARM-based uh, Macs again, right? Mm-hmm. Or, well, they're... So I say again on the basis that they've had risk-based processors before, and now they're yeah. you know, coming back to ARM-based, which is risk. And yeah. the top supercomputer yesterday announced uh, was ARM-based, not Intel, oh, not AMD. Wow, yeah. And Who's was it? Uh, Japan's uh, Fugaku's uh, the the Riken Fugaku team uh, came out with a what is it a forty-eight core ARM CPU. And, um, oh my God, what was there? Almost 160,000 dual socket nodes. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a few. And it, it, yeah. it was, four, what was it? I think it's four times faster than any other supercomputer right now. Something, wow. something like that. That's, and, that's crazy. And it beat, if you, it, if, it beat if ours top out. One is, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Good. Well, I was just going to say, if the top one is four times faster than number two, that's significant. Yeah. I mean, that's significant. You, like, think about it with, with humans racing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Somebody finishes a race four times faster than the second place person. Yeesh. Yeah. That's smoking. Yeah, that's, that is insane. Uh, so, sorry, I, I misspoke. It's, it's, it's almost three times faster. Two, uh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Factor that's 2.8. I just found the article here. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. I had I, missed that. That's, I'm, that's I missed really... so crazy. Yeah, I mean, and and so the funny thing is, is that uh, HPC is uh, is is always that cutting edge, right? So you you won't see a lot of that in the enterprise for a while, but what you've been what we've been seeing in the um, in the HPC world is the, some of the trend towards um, ARM computers, and and the reason that I believe some of this started is that. 
in the trade wars and the intellectual property wars with China is the U.S. cut off Intel from selling um, CPUs uh, to some China supercomputer environments. Mm -hmm. And because of that, China was like, all right, I'm I'm doubling down. And they went out and built, you know, this crazy, I forgot what it was, the I forgot. I don't know how to pronounce it. The Sunway Light. Uh, it's like a 256 core ARM wow. computer or chip. <laughs> and, oh yeah, there it is. Sunway Tau Light. Yeah. Four. And so they. And so what happened is that uh, they're like, "All right, I don't need Intel. I'll go do this on my own." Yeah. And they did, right? And so, um, so there's been an interesting trend, uh, you know, towards the ARM computers and um, Oak Ridge National Laboratories, in conjunction uh, with some of the other laboratories, put out an RFP quite a few years ago. Or um, the, the intent is that they were going to build uh, some ARM-based. Uh, Computers and so there's there's only a small handful of, of computer manufacturers out there building enterprise class ARM uh, ARM computers right now. So uh, it you know it, not really sure, but the, uh, again the reason I bring it up is because you know Apple's talking about going to it, the HPC world's talking about going to it. AWS has announced that they've got their own ARM CPU uh, processors uh, inside their uh, environment. And so uh, Azure has done the same. And so Windows 10 has supported ARM for a while now. And last year, what um, Tyler, what, was it last year or two years ago that um, we, we finally announced uh, VMware su- support for ARM? That was last year. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually found that out in 2011. So I got to go to VMware Radio back in 2011, 2012. That radio is amazing. And um, they were like, hey, we've already ported it. When the when the industry gets there, we'll be ready. And then, the you know, you know, so 2019, it seemed like the industry was really starting to turn up the turn up the, the, the knobs a little bit on on arm and bam, VMware popped it out. So, yeah. Man, look yeah, at this. So I just pulled up. Oh, go ahead, Tally. I was just going to say, I know it's budding technology. I haven't seen a lot. And I'm just, I mean, there are a ton of technical hurdles and debt to overcome there. But I wonder if it all sort of fits the same narrative that you were just speaking to as well. It's just some market conditions globally have forced enterprise arm to be a potentially more than just viable path going forward. So timing, timing is probably no accident there. Well, I, I would say that... Uh that if if you if you really take and, and you stop and think about we just talked about Android versus Apple in terms of phone pro- uh, those are all those are all ARM processors right so Intel has historically done very well in the in the x86 world right and they would sell I don't know 100 150 million processors a year um, but the reality is is that ARM in, you know I, I know it's not the same scale but th- they can sell billions every quarter. Right, because if you think about the number of cell phones, so so the groundswell has been developing for a lot of years, in in regards to the technological change. And if you think about ARM as a company, they're a fabulous company. They they just do the chip design. They don't they don't make anything. Mm. Apple licenses ARM, right, and then go builds it. Samsung licenses ARM. It goes goes and builds it. Uh, you know, uh, Qualcomm. Um, you name it. They just go build. The, the the architecture yeah. and 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 they're often run into the races and so uh, arm's been crazy su- successful in um, you know kind of building that groundswell so we're back to the risk versus sys scores again of uh, my uh, elder years so mm-hmm. 
Boom. That was a great update, man. And I just pulled up the list. So yeah, that's cool. They just announced the uh, the top 500. Oh, are you looking at the top 500? Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Uh, the top 10, you have uh, Japan. Fujitsu is the, yeah, is Fujitsu. the hardware there. Yep. Uh, number two is United States, IBM hardware. Number three is United States, IBM, NVIDIA, Mellanox. Number three is China. Number four is China. Uh, no, I'm sorry. What? How did I fall off on that? Number four and number five are China. Number six is Dell EMC in Italy. That's yep. kind of cool. Yeah, that's the new. Yeah. That's the. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. the. So that is the the world's fastest supercomputer from a private corporation, and it's a Dell EMC system. The HPC wow. five. We also we also have the largest educational system in number eight. You'll probably see there the the Frontier yeah, system. Right. I was just about to get to that uh, number seven US. It's an Nvidia system, and then yeah, number eight Frontera. That's the one at uh, University of Texas Dell EMC. Yeah, that's a that's a big system. Uh, that's a, <laughs> clearly that's, that's a big system, and uh, even more impressive if it were small. Well, and, and it's it's funny is that, you know, when, when, if you, you know, I know I work for the company, so I'm a little biased, but when you, when people say high performance computing, supercomputers, you don't normally hear the word Dell behind that. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, we are technically a distant number two, but boy, do we develop some unbelievable systems that, you know, kind of, kind of knock out the competition sometimes in regards to yeah. what we can do with it. That's actually something I'm working on in my day job. I know, right? You, uh, I, I yeah. forgot to say, congratulations, man! I, thank you, thank you. Yeah, you took you took a tough gig. That. I'm going to tell you, bro. You took a tough yeah, gig. It ain't easy. It ain't easy. I get stuff thrown at me every single day. <laughs> well, you're gonna you're gonna learn you that, be uh, stuff, though, man. Yeah, you're gonna learn the that uh, there's there's a melding or merging of HPC and AI and ML and analytics, yep. right? I mean, it's uh, the lines are really starting to get blurry. Not not in these big HPC systems, man. They're out there doing very specific things, but um, but they still have the capability to do AI. But uh, you know, we're you know a lot of the work I do, you know, is in some of the FFRDCs, federally funded uh, research and development centers, mm -hmm. the University of Texas is the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratories, the Lincoln Laboratories, and and they're they're really you know they have big HPC systems. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember what Johns Hopkins is. I want to say it's like twelve thousand twelve thousand cores. Right. So it's not inconsequential. And yeah. And now they're asking, all right, not, I don't want it to just do big floating point computational things like supercomputers do. I, I need it to because you, you probably know this uh, or, or maybe you knew this is, you know, AI and ML. It's a different mathematical um, methodology. Right. And because of that. You, you can't always throw great big math crunching floating point problems, uh, you know, uh, at it because it breaks it down into uh, matrix algebra and therefore it's really small. It's 4-bit, 8-bit, 16-bit versus mm. 32, 64, whatever. Uh, and, and so they now, now customers are wanting it to do both. Mm. Hey, I want to be able to throw at it, you know. 10,000 cores, just a big HPC Fortran, you know, 90 application. And oh yeah, by the way, I need it to run this little four bit, you know, matrix <laughs> algebra problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind, of, kind of a funky world that, uh, that, that you've stepped into. Yeah, that, that's, that's cool. 
I'm, I'm sure Uli's going to learn an absolute boatload about it, which is fun because I always get to learn uh, at least some just by. Well, the, and, and you know the the partnership we have with VMware is actually changing the changing the life of the HPC and AI customers as well. You know, oh, I bet. Uh, the you know the VMware and Pivotal have have a fantastic thing that is allowing us to start to build a system because HPC systems are tough to manage, right? I mean, they're they're usually very Unix oriented. They're you know they're very complex in networking, and the combination of VMware and Dell. Uh, coming out with ready systems to be like, hey, you know, we we know this stuff isn't easy, but we're going to make it as easy as possible, so you can just go solve a problem and, you know, um, be able to run HPC applications inside of a VMware environment on Dell infrastructure. So yeah, we're we're having a lot of fun in the in the federal space, uh, you know, solving some of those problems. But it's it's bigger than that. It's it goes on for everybody, oil and gas and banking oh, yeah. and. You know, trying to find out. You know, have I been pwned on the on the uh, you know password problem? So there, there's a lot, to, a lot for us to still do. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And uh, I, I get to see a lot of the cool stuff that we end up working on together too, just because I'm always curious and digging, and I'll I'll go find out who's working on those projects. But uh, those those specific acquisitions you were referring to, and some of the things that we're doing with Pivotal and containerization and just moving towards sort of app architectures. I know that's exactly what Buley's been chartered to do, right? Is develop the easy to easy to set up, easy to use, get the job done sort of systems. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Tyler, if do you uh, have you ever gotten involved on the the pivotal side with the um, the the database guys, the Green Plum and the uh, Gemfire? I haven't yet, and and that's I you know I'm short in my new role, right? I was very focused on hyperconverged infrastructure for a long time, and then the software defined data center, as we describe it more broadly. But now, uh, now as a, a core SE with VMware, I get to touch sort of everything underneath the sun, and I'm slowly but surely starting to sort of penetrate into the other BUs more in in more depth out of curiosity or. More, uh, more appropriately, as my customers sort of demand. So, um, yeah, good. What, what, what should I be looking for? That's well, so. I, um, you know, the the reason I bring it up because uh, you know there's an there's an interesting conversation going on between myself and somebody who's kind of a back end developer uh, on the Gemfire, and so so people that don't know what Gemfire is, uh, it's a database, right? But uh, the beauty behind what what it it has is it's geo distributed. Um, replication and so it handles the replication function for you and um, but is a database right so the in inside the the military it's it's been used in a couple of spots um, it's called the global command and control system um, dash j for the the joint meaning that all of our partners uh, yeah. are participating in this and it, it runs gem fire in the background so that wherever you are in the world you have the it's called geeks gc gccs uh, and it geo replicates the database wherever it needs to be and, you know, has all the nice security functions built into it. So, so we're, awesome. we're trying to crank that back up again to see where else we can get the federal systems integrators to look at that. But at the same time, have a combination of, um, I still think it's fairly unmatched is, uh, is the green plum database. Um, Man, we we've thrown uh, we've been at Army uh, Cyber Research Laboratories, and we we threw a problem at it that they didn't think that we could do on a on a standard SQL database, and um, Greenplum just crushed it. Man, oh, it was, cool. 
because it has infinite scalability. Um, I, th- yeah, I, think, nice. I think when I've talked to those guys, they don't even know how big it can get because they don't have, <laughs> there's not enough systems. There to, is no to, upper limit. Right. Yeah. They don't know how big it can get because it, they don't. So, so the reality is, is you can continually throw cyber problems at it or, um, sure. you know, node edge, uh, you know, analysis in regards to cybersecurity. So pretty cool. Yeah. I, I would, that is cool. I would say to kind of have a look at that if you haven't, it's, it's pretty fun. Oh, for sure. No, I, I started to dig more into just, um, honestly, containerization in general, utilizing oh, yeah. the platform for it. And, and I've got a lot of educating myself to do in that space already, but the, the buzz around it in the industry is just palpable. So yeah, what's, um, what's your, starting what's your there, opinion on, on the, the whole, we're going back to bare metal thing again, then. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it happening, but I'm sure that there's a, a hint, if not more of bias there. I, I think management at scale of infrastructure without software as a negotiating layer is not going to be cost effective for most people. So jumping straight back to bare metal without the right tools. And at the end of the day, you're going to be consuming something that's going to make it easier to, you know, scale nodes up, down, you know, left, right, doesn't matter. And call it whatever vendor you want. Those tools are absolutely necessary or you end up throwing resources at something that's not actually getting you where you need to go. Right. It's uh, a, it's a, it's wasted work if it isn't actually on the, on the product that you're, you know, providing your end customers. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I think I think there are arguments there for buy systems. I think there are arguments there for uh, software-defined systems that are going to relieve those levels of effort, but then also get you more rapidly to an end state that's actually valuable. I don't I don't think there's there aren't a lot of customers that are going to see tremendous benefit by being Kubernetes gurus, as an example, if it's not necessary. So yeah. if somebody can give you the Kubernetes environment with a bow on top, then why go acquire talent and build something from the ground up unless you have identified a very special area where that is going to be legitimately your bread and butter and give you distinct competitive advantage. But most customers, I think, are going to see competitive advantage in the applications they develop, yeah. not in being experts at designing a platform for that. Hell, that's that's why Kubernetes was successful, right? Google put it out there, said this is a better way to do this, and then they made it as much of it open source and available to the public as possible. So the industry started to develop the talent and individual companies didn't have to. Yeah. Well, I'll give you I'll give you one website to go to just to kind of see one of the best working examples of where, you know, the DevOps world inside the federal government really just crushed it. Um, and you know, again, little little braggart here, um, you know, VX Rails uh, running uh, Pivotal Cloud Foundry um, in okay. in a in a tactical classified environment, but the development actually occurs in a non-classified environment. And when they do their their Cloud Foundry pushes, it, it has all the steps and checks um, to um, 
do what they call a continuous authority to operate because typically in the Uh the federal, we have to get an authority to operate a piece of software on a network and it has to go through um, information assurance and has to do all those things. But this got the approval that because they write the code in from the DevOps perspective in the container mechanisms, what happens is is that it all, when it green lights, it says, okay, we've done all the checks that are always required. And when they do a CF push, it literally pushes out of an office in uh, outside of Boston. There, goes through um, and you know checks itself in, does all kinds of things, and lands in a uh, in a military uh, VX Rail cloud fo- uh, foundry out in uh, over in Afghanistan. And uh, so, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's easy to remember. It's Kessel Run. Dot AF. Dot Mill. And, yeah, uh, no, that's that in that. I mean, I think that highlights a lot of it, right? It's it also interesting side thought there before I dig into the technology a little bit more. I'm guessing because the development is not in a secure location, it's actually the variables input that are the secure piece of that data. Because the mm-hmm. if you're going to develop anything out of a secure environment, then it's obviously less critical than what whatever's being added to it after deployment, right? So that's, right. that's actually kind of interesting and doesn't actually surprise me, right? There's a lot of stuff that ends up being secure just because if you know, uh, for instance, that something needs to deal with a certain amount of environmental uh, pressures, whether that's literal atmospheric pressure, sand, et cetera, et cetera, then right. you can have an idea of where it's being deployed, which is often why <laughs> certain groups get sequestered. But yeah, that's, well, that's it, actually it, really cool. Yeah, I would I would go out there and read about it. I mean, uh, there's there's plenty of stuff that you can read um, where the Air Force team came into. Um, oh, I forgot what Pivotal calls their worldwide conference, um, but um, you can watch the videos. <laughs> yeah, the, where you can watch their their videos about how they how they went through the process, and then some of the backstory is kind of interesting. Is that they were the reason they did this was they were ten years into a software development uh, methodology to develop uh, aircraft refueling planning software, and they were ten years in. Something like five hundred million dollars had already been spent, and almost no source code had ever been written because they were in the waterfall methodology, all the designs up front. And, you know, so the Air Force was just like, okay, we're tired of this. And so the team from Pivotal and uh, went in and was like, yeah, we think we can do that. I don't know. I, I want, I, I'm, I'm going to mess this up because I don't ever remember the story anymore. But, yeah, I think we can do that for like, you know, $4 million or something like that. And they're like, no way. Oh, yeah, by the way, we'll get it done in, in, 60, in 90 days or something like that. And so That's it awesome. ended up 62 days. And the Oh, wow. And the, the, the fundamental, right. Because, you know, in agile development, you, you, you kind of get the, um, the first wave of an application up and then you add the, you know, yeah, right. Minimum viable product. Yeah. You get the MVP uh, in there. And so the, uh, MVP was up and running in 62 days. And so the air force immediately recognized a $216,000 a day savings. That's insane. A day. That's incredible. Because yeah. they, wow. they, they found out they needed one less uh, air, uh, air refueling aircraft and its entire crew. And yeah. at the end of the year, after they had done the, most of the iterations, they realized they needed two whole less aircraft and crew. And it was like over $500,000 a day they were saving. Boom. That's incredible. Yeah, I think uh, Chad Dunn tells that story a lot. Chad Dunn does tell that story a lot. It's <laughs> a good story. 
It's a it's well. I mean, the the thing is, is that um, it went on. Um, you know, that's that was the that was the initial wave. They went on and actually developed thirty seven additional applications inside that environment. I think. Wow. So I mean, it's uh, it, it's a lesson to be learned in in the old stodgy military. You know, coming out of its shell to say, you know, we've, we got to get in front of this, and boy, they they did. And it, it you know, there's a lot of companies that could learn from that. Yeah, yeah, and it it doesn't surprise me either that um, it, it goes back to that. What's your core competency, right? If, right. If you know if you know what your end user and customer really really needs, and you have a faster method of getting to that or something that will give you that advantage, then there's a good chance and, that. And, and of course, it's it's us Air Force guys that did this first, right? So I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. go. All right, um, uh, we are running out of time here. Uh, do we have time for one more topic, or should we shut it down? Uh, it, it depends on what topic really interesting you, you want to chat about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let me. I'll just throw this at you real quick, uh, and then we'll then we'll get out of here. Uh, so Mars, there's there was a article here. Mars is about to have its Wright brothers moment, uh, which I would say is a little different. But uh, anyway, we already know how to fly. We're just going to try to fly in a different atmosphere. So as part of its next Mars mission, NASA is sending an experimental helicopter, helicopter. to fly cool. through the thin atmosphere. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. If you click on the article, you can watch them. Uh, they sucked the air out of this room to simulate the atmosphere there because it's a lot thinner. Sure. The atmosphere on Mars is uh, is one one hundredth as dense. Uh, there's lesser gravity, which helps getting airborne. Yeah. Um, trying to get away from gravity right but there's not any air to push against right so they're having all kinds of problems like if you think about flying a <laughs> helicopter at a hundred thousand feet that's the problem <laughs> right no no we've never done that here on on earth that's that's twice as high as uh, as jets yeah. fly yeah wow i i wonder uh, what, I, what, I bet a big part of that problem too is um you know the tail rotor and combating just the the moment of the the other rotor because you think you probably Either you have to get lighter or you have to spin faster to push more on the less stuff that's there. But the faster you spin, the more you have to counteract it. And you have yeah. a small rotor that's trying to deal with that. I wonder if it's going to end up being dual rotor to, to do that. It maybe. is. So that's exactly yeah, what they did. So they didn't why. do a tail rotor. They're just doing dual I don't think rotors on top I think, of each other. You know, you got this tiny rotor on the back and nothing to push against. And then you're probably spinning faster because of the, the other conditions. That's that's interesting. And not yeah, one surprising. of the one of the significant problems they had was that the blades would bounce up and down as they spun at about 2,000 to 3,000 RPMs. <laughs> Shocker. The, on Earth, yeah, the, the pressure of the air, the pressure of oh, the atmosphere down. would minimize the bouncing. Mm -hmm. So they had to stiffen the blades in order yeah. to be able to do it. So I thought it was how, pretty I cool. wonder how big it is. Sorry, I'm not looking at the article, but uh, that, that gets me right back to old aircraft building days and a lot of the problems that we'd run into. It's, yeah. it's always curious to see how those things are fixed. It's yeah. It's about the right. size of, of like the size of maybe a human. You know? Okay. So relatively small. That's good. Cause stuff like yeah. that stiffening blades as an example, doesn't scale very well <laughs> Right. <laughs> or yeah. requires some really cool uh, material advances and design considerations, which is, you know, if they were making it bigger, then you might actually see some very, very unique, you know, uh, blade designs as an example. Um, but small, still, I'm sure littered. Yeah. With issues. If you I sat wonder. on a ball, like in a ball on the floor and put your arms out, that's about the size of this thing that they're okay. building. So. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Kind of like a drone. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's actually kind of interesting that they didn't just do like a quadcopter. Uh, yeah, considering how I guess maybe it's maybe available weight. those they wanted piloting yeah. systems are. Yeah, yeah but, they maybe want to limit the payload as much as they can. I don't know. Getting it to Mars and getting well, it and ground. that makes perfect sense. But I wonder if it's actually that much lighter, right? You know, for smaller. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they have good reasons to do what they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting. We'll we'll uh we'll have to have a like just a we'll have to have a show with you guys and just talk about aviation because uh, yeah, that'd yeah be great. there's so much to talk about and those kinds of things. So. Anybody <laughs> that wants to come talk about this Mars helicopter and educate us on all those design decisions is absolutely welcome to come on the show yeah. too. Do so. we have any friends at NASA? I do. Do we have any friends at NASA? I do. Okay. <laughs> Make a phone call, Heath. Let's Make do it, it happen. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put some calls out there real quick. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Heath, do you have anything else you want to plug real quick before Tyler shuts it down? Uh, n- no, not really. I, I we, you know, we've, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed being on the show and, uh, you know, just, uh, thanks for, thanks for letting me come on here and just kind of geek out, man. This is, these kinds of things are fun. That was in, 100% the intent. So thanks for coming and geeking out with us too and, and bringing all your knowledge and, and your opinions as well. So it was tons of fun. That brings us to the close of today's Tech Breakfast podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And as always, if you've got news we missed, general feedback, or the urge to join us for a recording, let us know. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>